uh, we get into the, this, uh, this chapter is what at first seems like First John is pretty cut and dry, pretty straight and forward, and yet at the same time, it's, it's deep. And uh, there's, there's been more to it than I had, even I had first realized that many years ago, not many, two, uh, I went back uh, and I went through a verse by verse and I wrote in, my, in a notebook uh, all the, uh, every verse in First John, just trying to decipher it. And I thought that when we would go through this, I would rely on those notes, and I haven't even cracked that book. I've just basically been redoing it each time and really enjoying getting into uh, getting into it. Now I'm, I'm wondering where we're going to go next. And uh, there's a big book in front of us, and I wanna, I'm excited to, to try to get into more of the Word of God. We're in 1 John in chapter 5 today, and uh, I wanted to take the first 12 verses. I want to tell you a little bit about what we're going to be in next week just because it, it does lay a foundation for where we're going to be this week in the end of the chapter Really, First John is uh, kind of a conclusion, a summary of everything that he's been talking about up to this point. If you've been here for the past, I think it's, this is week 13 or 14, uh, so we'll, we'll get through five chapters in about 15 weeks if, uh, if all goes as planned. Uh, the, the main theme has is, is just been Jesus. Jesus is what we need. Jesus is all, uh, he's, he's, he's as philosophical as you can get. He is as deep as you can dive. He is as... As wide as you can travel, there's nothing beyond Jesus. And that's, and that's really, as Christians, that's all we need. And so what I want to do uh, in, the, in the, this chapter is what we're going to look at some things that we know, some things that we just know of a certainty because of Christ. Now, all of them, except one, are in next week. Uh, we're going to look at one, and the main one is the most important thing that we could know and that is simply who Jesus is. Now, we've spent four chapters talking about who Jesus is, and so this is, in a way, a bit of a summary of all of the things. This would be like the year-end review uh, in school before you take that final test, uh, and you were like, did I really learn that? I forgot that we talked about that. And uh, so we're going to look at those, uh, some of these things that John says that we know that, we, that, uh, we, that who Jesus is and because we know who Jesus is, or maybe more specifically because of who Jesus is, there are some things that we have in Christ. And that's what we're looking at today. What we have in Jesus. And so as John nears the end of this letter uh, that we know, he will write two more uh, to them. Uh, but he, he places a final emphasis on pointing the reader in this day and time, and also in today's day and time, to... Christ. Uh, remember at the very beginning of our studies, we talked about the people that had kind of snuck into the church and were trying to draw people away from Christ and point them in another direction, something more philosophical, something more respectable, something not so uh, elementary, if you will. The, the, what you would expect, the, the, the level of education that you would expect from primary school in a, in a, to a university, and there were people that were thinking, well, Jesus is good uh, for Sunday school. And Jesus is good for the little tots, and Jesus is good even for the brand new Christians. But, you know, for those of us who have been uh, going to church, and we know the Scriptures, and we know the law, uh, there's got to be something greater, something more advanced. And so uh, they began to look at these weird, uh, really, I mean, nothing, nowhere in Scripture is it supported, but they would come up with some really weird uh, ideas and philosophies about religion and about getting close to God, having that relationship with God. And even as I, as I wrote these things out, and I, and I, I actually finished this, the message and closed my laptop and walked away from it, and I thought, I still don't get it. I don't know why you put this in here. 
uh, for us. I can see maybe why it was going on in John's day. But uh, uh, as I dwelled on that and and thought on that, meditated, uh, it became a little bit clearer. So I hope to uh, be clear in in my presentation of what I think uh, made sense in my in my head. So we're just going to kind of begin at verse number one and just go right through and look at the things that John tells the reader here. Uh, so put yourself in in Ephesus and put yourself in in this in this uh, time frame, this I think first or second century, uh, and think about the the reader in light of uh, what John has to say. John says in, in there are I think uh, seven, five things that uh, that John says that we have in Christ. And so we begin in verse number one. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now there's not a lot of uh, punctuation to separate the phrases in there, so you have to be careful as you read it, uh, because uh, it, if, you just, if you don't read it without the punctuation, you kind of you just read all the words and you don't really gather what's being said. In fact, the first four or five verses of the chapter 5 belong with the thoughts of chapter number 4, and I hesitated to even uh, include those in, in the last weeks, but in, in light of the summary and all that, I uh, wanted to just save it till this week. But he says there that the first thing that we have in Jesus or because of Jesus is that we have the Father. He says there that uh, everyone that loveth him that begat, that would be the Father, the, 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 the Father, uh, God the Father begot, uh, begot uh, begat uh, the sons. And it says, in, in, whosoever, uh, anyone that loves the Father then also loves, as I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I'm going to mess it all up, so I better just read what is there. Uh, uh, everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. At first glance, I thought, well, John 3.16 tells us that Jesus is the only begotten. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But as we read in the context here, he's not just talking about Jesus. He's not saying that if you love the Father, you'll love Jesus. More specifically, he's saying that if you love the Father, you're going to love all of the Father's children. Because he told us in the end of chapter 4, and he's even going to tell us in the next two verses here, that we as Christians are born or begotten of God. Now, we're not just like Jesus, but we are in the same family as Jesus. And so uh, he is our brother and God is our father. And so when he says there that uh, loving him that is begotten of him, it's saying that if I am truly born of God, then I will love the father and I will also love all those in my Christian family. And so uh, John says here, because of Christ, I have the Father. And without Jesus, I don't have the Heavenly Father. We read that in chapter 2 and verse 22, that if you try to eliminate Jesus from the equation, you also forfeit the Father. You don't get Him. He's the only way, the only path to the Father. He, John even recorded it in his Gospel when he said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. You cannot get in to the Father's family. You cannot get in to His good graces, to his to a relationship with Him, to fellowship with Him, any other way than through Jesus. Again, we're putting ourselves in the, in the reader's position of, the, of this uh, uh, first century Christian church uh, where people were sneaking in and saying there's something other than Jesus, and John's going, there's not. There's other things, but they're lies. There's no other way to get to, Christ, uh, to, get to God than through Jesus. He says, number two, uh, what I have in Jesus, because I have a father, I also have a Christian family. Uh, we we kind of read that a little bit at the end of verse 1, but we see it in verse number 2 as well. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. 
So not only in Christ do I have a father, but I have a family. I have, I have people to whom I belong and, and people to whom I have a responsibility uh, to care for and to, uh, to, to help grow and to help mature and to love and to be loved. And that's the wonderful thing about family, right? You know, have you ever had to spend a holiday away from your family? You know, when I was in college, I had to do that a few times. And uh, being, you know, when I was in college, I, I, you know, I, I flew home. And because driving would have like taken me my whole week of Christmas break to just get home. And so I flew home and I would always have to fly back a little early and I'd get back to college. And, and it was the most depressing place in the world to me because there was nobody else there. And I'd be walking this, these ghost town hallways and I'd get to my dorm floor and normally there's noise and excitement. And there's nothing. And it was just like for the next three days well, until everybody got back, it was just depressing because there was no one around. There was no one to share life with. And I, I kind of like being alone, but there was, it was overdose, and I didn't like it anymore, and I wanted, I wanted people. I wanted someone to talk to. I wanted someone to, uh, to, to, to just interact with because it was, it, was, it was boring. If you've ever had to do Christmas like that, if you've ever had to do uh, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up, what do we do? We gather with friends and family. We want to be around people, and then we want to be alone. From, we want to get away from them, right? That's what Black Friday's for, and get away from my family. And then we go be with strangers that we don't know, and we push and shove them. But we, we, uh, we, we want to be around people uh, on those holidays because this is who we do life with. Uh, on Sundays, we gather as a family and we meet together and we go through the Scriptures together and we sing together and we fellowship together and we, we do activities together and we do all these things. Uh, and, and then you have your family members, your biological family members, and then you have your close family friends. That they, they, they're not blood-related, but they're related in every other way and you have so much in common with them. And we do life together. Well, John says to these people, uh, in Jesus, we have that family. Now, that doesn't mean the same thing to us as it would have to a first century Christian, but think about it. In that day and time, to profess Jesus Christ would be to sign your own death warrant. That would be to say, well, you know, okay, we might, we might kill you now. You're going to be uh, dismissed from the temple, maybe. You're going to be hunted down. We, we read about the Apostle Paul, and, or before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, and how he would hunt down and persecute and arrest and kill the Christians. And we read in history that how uh, out, of, out of all the disciples, John was the only one who died a natural death. And that wasn't because they weren't trying. You know, so to be a Christian in those days didn't mean uh, life was going to be glamorous and, and uh, we're going we're gonna to build big fancy buildings and we're going to interact with our community and have a good relationship. No, it meant hunker down and, and hold on. And, and I might lose some friends and, and positions and maybe even my position at work and, 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 and my position maybe in, in the city wherever it may be, because I became a Christian. And John says, but in Christ, you have a family. We are each other's family. And though we're not related by the blood of, 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 of other people, we're related through the blood of Christ. And so John says, uh, because you are in Christ, you have the Father, you have a family. Uh, and then he goes on and, uh, and he, he continues to explain that. Uh, our love for God... And our love for our family are inseparable. And that's what he's explaining here in these verses. By this, verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. You see how they're connected uh, to each other. Uh, there's a, J- a Jameson commentary uh, says this, As our love to the brethren is the sign and test of our love to God, so our love to God, which is tested by our keeping His commandments, is conversely the ground and only true basis of love to our brother. He's saying, in other words, just as my love to the Christian family reveals my love for God, my love to you reveals my love for Him, my love for God is the reason that I love you in the first place. 
because we are related in Christ. That love for God is tested by my obedience to His commandments. I can't separate that. That's how we, uh, we see the end of chapter 4 by saying you cannot separate love of God and love of my brother. Uh, they, they have to go together. It says that this is commandment we have from Him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. John goes further to say about this idea of obedience or keeping His commandments. He reminds us in verse number 3 that these commandments aren't grievous or burdensome or overly hard to do. It's not a burden to keep the commandments that God gives me. What, is, what does John mean by that? It, it's not a big deal to keep God's command? Because if it's not a big deal, shouldn't that mean that I have no problem doing right? I have a tough time doing what I'm supposed to do sometimes. I have a tough time not doing what I'm not supposed to do sometimes. What does John mean by uh, it, it is no big deal? Uh, isn't that grievous, if you will, to keep His commandments? Well, if you contrast that with what, uh, what these people would have experienced about trying to live the law, think about how impossible it was to keep the law. Think about how the Pharisees had to. They were, they were put on a pedestal. They were put in the spotlight because they had devoted their lives to keeping the law perfectly and, and all of the dietary restrictions and all of the ceremonial washings and, and the Sabbath and all those things that they could do and had to do and couldn't do and, and had to do in this specific way and, and in this order and, and all of these things. It was tough to, to live the law. And then Jesus comes along and says, uh, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be a lazy person as a Christian, but it's going to be a whole lot easier. It's not going to be a burden. It's not going to be grievous anymore. How is that? Well, because of a relationship. Because now that there is a relationship, my behavior is no longer a burden to please the one that I love. John's basically saying that it's not a burden to please your father. Because you love your father, you want to please him. And all the things that you do, it's not tough and it's not grievous and it's not burdensome it's not a chore to please your father you do it because you want to i liken it to uh pleasing someone that we love here on earth you love your wife or you love your husband or or you love your, your your children and it's not a chore to do the things that you do it's not burdensome and yeah you want to take a break ladies maybe from cooking your meals for your family you 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 it's not a it's not a burden to, to cook for your family or maybe uh, husbands to, to do the things that you do to go out and uh, you know, mow the lawn or whatever. You, you do those things because you love your family. And I, and I, and I do these things because I, I want to please them. And so in keeping the commands, if you will, of my wife or of my children, I am doing that out of a love because I, I have a relationship with him. And John is saying here, his commands aren't grievous. If we're going to count up all the commands that he says, uh, really, John said there's two of them. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your brother. If you can do that, you'll get everything else done. And and John's saying here, it's not a grievous thing. It's not a hard thing to do. Compare that with trying to live the Old Testament law. We have no experience trying to do that. But we do know what it's like to to, uh, obey out of a relationship or obey out of a sense of duty, if you will. As we have uh, many times tried to serve Christ in the flesh and do things that that we know we're supposed to do, just kind of going through the routine, but we're not doing it by the Spirit. Uh, we're not doing it because we love Jesus. We're doing it just because we have to, or we're doing it because uh, we want to please a person or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, we get tired of doing that. But John's reminding us there that if we do it out of the right uh, attitude, if we're doing it out of a love for our father and a love for my brother, uh, I can do whatever, I can, I can do anything, and it's, it's not going to be a grievous problem. And so John tells me here that because of Jesus, I have the father. Because of Jesus, I have a Christian family. And number three, because of Jesus, I have victory. He says in verse number four, and whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 
Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, as, as I read through these, this, this uh, little small passage here, I thought about what he just said about his commandments aren't grievous. It's not hard to do this because I can overcome the world. He told me in a chapter before that I overcome the antichrists of the world. And if I'm a person who can overcome the world and I can overcome antichrist, even God's commandments aren't hard. Loving my brother is not hard. I'm an overcomer of antichrist. I'm an overcomer of the world. And you ask me to love my brother? No big deal. I can do that. And that's what, and that's what John's trying to get across. You are, you have victory because of Christ. Chapter four, we overcome antichrist. And now chapter five, we overcome the world. Through faith, that's what he tells us, through our faith in Jesus, I have victory over the world's power and the temptation of antichrists. Jesus told us in John 16 that he overcame the world. He says, I have overcome the world, and so therefore by being in him, I also overcome. But I want you to notice, we overcome because of who we are, not because of what we do. We think of overcoming as an action. I've got, to, I've got to overcome by doing these things. No, no, no. You overcome by simply being in Christ. Because in Christ, who overcomes, you also get to overcome. If you look back at that with me, verse number 4, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. It's, it's in your DNA. It's in your spiritual makeup. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Because we have faith in who Jesus is and, and we know who Jesus is um, we have that uh, power to overcome. And then he says it to be very clear in verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the main thing. You know who Jesus is, and that gives you the power to overcome the world. And he says, so through, through Christ, we have victory. We can have the, a victorious Christian life. He tells us, number 4, that we have a witness of the truth. We see in verses 6-10. through 10, This is he that came by water and blood even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. And we've seen several times already when he talks about how the Spirit uh, bears witness or the Spirit testifies. The Spirit is the one who indwells us and testifies to us of the truth, but also of Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus' deity or Jesus' Messiahship. Jesus is the one who came from heaven and this was proven by water and blood and then testified of the Spirit. Now, there are a lot of interpretations of what this, this uh, passage 6, 7, and 8 mean about came by water and blood. Uh, no doubt, if you've studied it out, you've, you've thought about it. You know, some people will say that it tell you it's, it's, a, it's, it's talking about the water and blood. It's talking about uh, believers' baptism and then taking communion. Uh, some would say that it, it's a picture of Jesus' birth, being born of water, and then, uh, then uh, Jesus' death uh, being, uh, came by blood. Uh, and then there's another one, and this is what I kind of I tend to fall into that uh, this line of thinking that this is speaking of Jesus's baptism in Jesus's death. I'm going to try to show you a little bit why why I think that this way. Uh, these testimonies, these are there. There are testimonies here. If you're if you're looking in your notes, there are several testimonies here that bear witness to the identity of the deity of who Jesus is. There is the Spirit of God. There is water. There is blood and then there is the father himself and we'll look at those uh remember now john has has battled all throughout this writing that uh, with the lies that jesus isn't god he's battled the lie that jesus never actually lived on earth i, mean, I told you about that a couple of weeks ago where there were people that actually believed that jesus was some sort of a hologram that he walked and he looked like he's like 
the first David Blaine, you know, he could do all these magic tricks and, and, and all these things that Jesus did, and yet you could probably stick your hand right through him because he's just a mirage, if you will, and nothing, uh, nothing real, nothing physical, and yet the Bible is very clear uh, that that is, uh, that is false. And then also that, uh, that, that John is battling this idea that there is something better to be had. And so John is going to go through and give us these witnesses of Jesus and who he really is. And by each of these accounts, and then by the fact that all of these accounts agree, we may know certainly who Jesus is. Now in heaven, there is no question. We saw that in verse number 7. There's no question. There's no doubt as to who Jesus is. Verse 7, there are, th- there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. But that doesn't really help us because we're not in heaven right now. So he gives us, the Father gives us some earthly examples, some things around us right here on the earth that will help us uh, to understand who Jesus is. So we see it number one is the Spirit. Uh, verse number six, the Spirit was sent to testify of Jesus and to glorify Him as God. He said in verse six, this is He that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness because, notice, He bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Now, there's some notes in your, there's some verses in your notes there. We won't go to them because we've already spent time on previous weeks looking at them. But John, in three different places in his gospel, tells us, and, and it was actually Jesus' words, said that when I leave, the Spirit of God is going to come, He's going to indwell you, and He's going to testify of me. He won't speak of Himself, He will speak only of me. A couple of weeks ago when we looked at trying the spirits and, and, and what I'm supposed to do so that I can determine if the message that I'm hearing is the right message, which spirit uh, is it and where did that spirit come from, I listen to what the spirit says about Jesus. If it's from the spirit of God, it will confirm, it will affirm, it will testify, it will, it will admit, whatever you want to say, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. If it is not of God, it won't say that. It'll say something different, or it'll say something completely opposite. But if it's truly from the Spirit of God, it will say, Jesus is God. And that's what John is telling us here, just uh, and to remind us as he closes out his writing here, that the Spirit testifies that Jesus is God because He is the Spirit of truth. That means that the truth is that Jesus really is God. Not only is the Spirit uh, giving a witness or a testimony, but we see the water gives a testimony in verse number 8. There are three that bear witness or testify in earth. The Spirit and the water and the blood. Now the water, as I told you, there's, 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 there's been uh, a whole lot of interpretation, a lot of debate on what people think it means. This is what I think it means. And if you disagree, that's okay. That's fine with me. But uh, the water uh, here, it talk, speaking of the baptism of Jesus. Now, real quickly, we have some time. So let's go to Matthew chapter 3 and we'll see the, the passage here. Uh, the baptism of Christ. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13. Remember John the Baptist was baptizing uh, in, the, in the river. And here comes Jesus to be baptized of Him. Now don't lose your spot in First John. We're just going to read this and, and briefly and then go back to our First John. It said in verse 13 of Matthew 3, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John, baptized of Him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and cometh thou unto me? And Jesus answering said to him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, or then he, then, and he allowed Jesus to come in and he baptized. And Jesus, was, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. That's why we baptize by immersion, because you can't come up out of the water. It was just sprinkled on you. 
Uh, and lo, the heavens were open unto him. And notice, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That was straight from the Father's mouth. And, and if, we, if we read that carefully, it said that Jesus heard that. I kind of believe that everybody around heard that. There's another verse in your notes that says that John the Baptist uh, testified that said, I heard this voice too. So I imagine this. Jesus comes up out of the water. He's wa- he, he gets, you know, he's, he's baptized. And then he's walking up out of the water. And all of a sudden, the heavens are open. A dove, we know is the Spirit of God, comes and descends upon Jesus. And then a big booming voice, because God, of course, has a big bass voice. And he says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There is no doubt. God says, that's my boy. Just like when you're at your kid's baseball game and he hits the ball, you're like, that's my boy. Well, Jesus did something and God stood up and said, that's my son down there. He, that's him. Don't Everybody pay attention to him. Listen to him. He told Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration when, when Jesus appeared and then Moses and Elijah and Peter said, hey, let's build, let's build a, a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah and you. Jesus said, this is a good thing that we're here. And all of a sudden they disappeared and Jesus was left alone standing. And God said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. Shut your mouth, Peter, and listen to my boy right now. This is my son. So we have the, this is the, this is the water, not, not as the water speaking, but he came by water. He presented himself. And this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. I find it very interesting if you continue to read into Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is immediately driven into the wilderness and the devil tempts him. And the first thing he does is he questions what God had already stated. He said, this is my beloved son. And if you read when the devil tempts Jesus, he says, if you are the son, command these stones to be made bread. And he immediately drives doubt, or tries to drive doubt into the, the fact of who Jesus really is. But we see that the water, Jesus coming uh, and, and, and appearing, uh, and beginning his earthly ministry, the Spirit descends upon him, and here's the Spirit testifying. That's Jesus right there. Uh, and the Father announcing Jesus is his Son. Then we see in verse, uh, in, in, uh, the, we're back in First John, we see that the blood, and of course this would be the death of Christ, uh, you can read about this. I've, I've, I've given you several verses there in your notes. You can look at those later on. But the, 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 the death of Christ was the fulfillment. There are so many different prophecies fulfilled just at Calvary. In the way that He was brought to Calvary, in the, in the day that He was brought to Calvary, in the manner in which He was to be... Uh, do you realize that the crucifixion was prophesied before the crucifixion was invented? It was said how it was going to happen before they even came up with that. And it was said exactly what, uh, uh, what would happen. Uh, and not even the, 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 no, the, the verses that I've given you here uh, will even uh, exhaust all the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' uh, death. But there are a few there that we can, that we can read about that, uh, in, in specifically pertaining to His blood. You remember the stories in John 19. Normally, when they would crucify someone, to make sure to finish them off because some of them would hold on a little bit longer and maybe because of Sabbath or they just got tired of watching, they would go by and they would take a, a club or something and they break their legs so that they couldn't pull themselves up to breathe because they're hanging like this so it was harder to breathe so they basically began to suffocate because the crucifixion didn't actually kill you. It was the, the slow, painful death. Well, the soldier gets to, the, the, to, to Jesus and he noticed Jesus is already dead. So he didn't break his bones. Why? Because, read the verses there, it was prophetic that not a bone of him would be broken. Uh, his body wouldn't be broken uh, in the same way. And, and you, you didn't get through the crucifixion without having your bones broken, and yet Jesus did. 
So what did, this, what did the soldier do? Instead, he took his spear and he plunged it into the side of Jesus and out came water and blood. John was standing there. He watched that happen. He testified of that. In fact, after all of this stuff happens, there, there was a great earthquake. The, the lights went out in the sky at midday. The lights went out for a period of several hours. And then after all of this happens, the Roman soldier who's standing there looking up at Jesus, he's got blood dripping from his spear, and he said, Truly this was the Son of God. Through that, through the blood of Christ, through the blood being shed, we see several testimonies through the Scriptures, through the mouths of people who weren't even believers. Uh, We can see uh, all of these people confirming, saying, yeah, that was Jesus. That was not just the man that was called Jesus. That was God in the flesh. That is the Son of God. That was God Himself. And imagine, can you imagine the guilt that you must have felt as to be that Roman soldier standing there and you're the one holding the spear. You're the one who had just driven the nails in his hands. Maybe you had had a whip just a couple hours before and now you realized, I just did that to God. Can you imagine the fear that must have taken over him? And yet, it finally clicked for this man. Uh, the thief on the cross even testified that he was, he was God. And this is the blood. And this is how the blood testifies uh, other men had been crucified before. And even others had been crucified on that day. But only Jesus fulfilled Scripture's prophecy about Messiah. And the blood, His blood being pierced testified that Jesus is God. And then we see that the Father testifies of Jesus. The Father testifies of Jesus in verse number 9, if you're back in 1 John 5. If we receive the witness of men... We just read about the witness of men. We read about a Roman centurion, or I talked about a Roman centurion, uh, the thief on the cross, John, and, and, and the people in John's day saying, we've seen him. Remember at the beginning of the chapter? He said, that which we have seen and heard and, 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 and handled, we've, we've handled, we've touched Jesus. I, I've seen him. Uh, no doubt many of the 500 plus people that had seen Jesus after the resurrection uh, were part of this crowd. And, but he's saying if we receive the witness of men, if you're going to believe what a man has said, then notice the witness of God is greater. But this is the witness of God which He has testified of His Son. This is the same thing that God the Father said about who Jesus is. He said at Jesus' baptism, and now God says it again, and John gives it to us and summarizes it. God the Father knows who His Son is. And if we're going to believe anybody, we believe the Father, and we say, do you know who your boy is? Do you know who your son is? Is it really any, is it someone else? And God says, this is my beloved son. And then what I think is awesome, and really when we get down to what I said, in Christ we have a witness of the truth, because we have all of these other witnesses around us, but maybe the most special or the most precious one of all is that we have it within ourselves. Because he says in verse number 9 at the end of it, um, uh, for this, I'm sorry, uh, oh, verse number 10, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. I have the Holy Spirit of God within me. And not only do I hear a witness from other people, not only do I read about it in the Scriptures, or even in the history books, but within me I have the witness of God. I know Jesus is God. You just know it, don't you? I know Jesus is God. I've never seen Jesus or God. And yet I know it. How do I know that? Because I have the witness in myself. And it says that he that believeth not, God hath made him a liar. Why? Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Finally, we see what we have in Christ. We have life. This is the record, verse 11. This is the testimony. This is the witness. They're all the same word in the, in the Greek. That God hath given to us eternal life. Realize that eternal life is a gift from God. Romans 6 tells us the gift of God is eternal life. 
God says, let me be very clear where you get, where, how you get this. And this life is in His Son. Notice what He says very, very plainly. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Very, very clear. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Folks, as we get to the near of the end of the letter here, we realize John is, is leaving no doubt as to the truth of who Jesus is. And I don't doubt that any of us doubt Christ. As I said, in the final verses of the passage, we see things that we know because of Jesus. But this is the first and the most important thing to know. The most important fact that anybody could ever learn on this earth is that Jesus is God because you can't get anywhere unless you get unless you get past that, unless you figure that part out. He was not just a good man who helped people. He was not just a wise teacher whose advice we should consider. One way to get to God or one way to get to heaven. The fact is that Mary can't help us. Attending church can't help us. Baptism doesn't help us. And even living a good life. Praying. Giving to charity. Extreme sacrifices don't get us any closer to God. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we go back to what John started off his letter with in chapter 1. John basically said, I'm telling you about Jesus because it is by Him that you are saved, and it is through Him you have a relationship with God and joy and fellowship with His family. As I finish the message here, and I, I, I told you I closed my, closed my notes up, closed my, my computer up, and walking away and I thought that's great for the people of that day and time but I know the people that I'll be talking to on Sunday how does that affect us I don't think any of us are doubting if Jesus is God or not and, and it's a wonderful truth but it's not necessarily a truth that I, I, I feel again I'm not the doctor but I don't feel that you need to know like you, there, I'm not worried about some of you out there going I'm wondering if Jesus really is God or not but then this this came to me we thought about I, I told you there's five things that Jesus gives us because of Him. As a Christian, that's what I'm assuming that all of us here are. I don't really, I don't think I see any, any new faces here. What is it that you're looking for in life? What is it that you most desire in life? Are you looking for acceptance? Are you looking for family? Are you looking for uh, friendship, fellowship? You have that in Jesus. Are you looking for uh, something that you didn't get on this earth? Maybe uh, a, a bad, you, had, you didn't have a good parenting relationship. You, you didn't have a good close relationship with your father or your mother. Or maybe you, maybe, uh, maybe you, you don't have a good uh, relationship with your family. We have that in Christ. Do you want to live a life of victory? Do you want to live a life that, that as a winner? Do you want, or do you want to constantly go through life just trying to stay above water, just trying to not die, just trying to survive, or do you want a life of victory? John reminds us that's what we have in Christ. We overcome. We have victory. We're not, we're not losers. We're not even just survivors. We overcome. We win. We know how to battle. We know how to get through tough times. And life definitely has plenty of those. We get that in Christ. You want to have life? You want to have a good life? You want to have what Jesus said, abundant life? Remember what He said? I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I want you to have an abundant life. 
And I don't know if anybody in here is doubting whether or not Jesus is God, but I wonder if we were to be honest with ourselves and ask, what is it I'm really looking for in this life? I can find it in Christ. Have I been looking for it in other places? Do I look for my life outside of Jesus? Do I look for uh, acceptance and uh, friends outside of what Jesus is. I'm not saying you can't have a friend who's who's not you know not Jesus. I'm not saying that. But all the things that we desire and the things that we crave in this life are fulfilled. They're satisfied through Christ. He's here, and he's not just here to take us to heaven, folks. He's not just here for one day. He came. He is God, as as, as Mark's saying. He is. He is. He is. I always used to get. Fool, he is what? He is what? He is. That's why Jesus said, I am. I'm what? I am. I just am. I'm, I'm, whatever you need. What do you need? Fill in the blank. I am. You need victory? I am. You need life? I am. You need, I am. I am. I, he is. I wonder if I'm looking elsewhere, though. Because everything that I could desire in this life, and as I said, I'm not. Lo- I, Jesus didn't come and, and, and all that so that one day. He came for now. This is, it's, not, it's not all about one day. It's about today. It's about tomorrow. It's about this week. It's about this year. It's not about, well, one day when I die. What about right now? He's, he is designed for you to have a successful, a victorious, a, an abundant life here right now on Sunday in the month of November, for the month of December. Don't start waiting to be a Christian when you get to heaven. Don't fall in the trap that it, it starts one day. It started already. You're living it right now. Don't miss it. It's all through Christ.